Trish. I'm Sarah. And this is Trying to Win, our podcast about being trial lawyers and life inside and outside the courtroom. Together, Sarah and I have been trying cases in Charlotte for quite a long time, Um, not only Charlotte, but surrounding communities. And we are also business owners of Lincoln Durr. We've learned quite a few things, some the easy way, some the hard way over the years, and we're here to share them with you. Sarah, you want to tell them about our format? Yeah, so uh, the format for the podcast actually today is a little bit different because we are doing this by Zoom. So hopefully our quality of sound and everything is good for everyone, but we'll still follow the same kind of opening statement, give you everybody an idea of what we're going to be talking about. And we do have a great guest with us today. So we're excited about that. Followed by the witness examination where we either talk to each other or to we're our guests. examine her. That's right. <laughs> no. And then, uh, and then we go to the closing arguments where we kind of sum things up and lessons learned through the podcast for the day. And then we ask everybody for your verdict to you know comment on us, tell us what's working, what's not working, and to rate us, download, subscribe, and all of that good stuff. So today we have, this is a special guest day, and um, we have someone here with us who means a lot to us, who is the leader now, new leader, fairly new, of an organization that we have been part of for a very long time, um, NAMWOLF, N-A-M-W-O-L-F. And it is a group that supports diversity, women-owned minority firms, and helps us make the nexus between our firms and some of the in-house counsel at some of the bigger uh, firms. So we've been, gosh, I don't know how long we've been members of NAMWOLF, but it's been, it's been a while. I know we're the first in North Carolina to join the group, but Leslie Davis is with us. You know, she's the CEO, as we said, she is a, a, are you a triple Hawkeye? Uh, Yes, I have three degrees from the University of Iowa. She has (laughs) three, yes, that's awesome. So you have a degree in journalism and then a master's in journalism. Those are hard schools and then a law degree all from Iowa, right? That's correct. Awesome. And then you worked in private practice for a while? Yes, for two decades. Trying cases, doing what we do, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trial hound. And then had some really (laughs) cool sort of weavings and bobbings and some a really interesting career path that we want to explore with you today. So welcome, Leslie. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. And we we want to talk about, you know, NAML for sure, because it's been a significant part of our practice and our client development work. And of course, we're pretty dedicated to, you know, improving the visibility of diverse law firms, um, not just with clients, but also in our communities and with other law firms. So we definitely want to talk about that some, but what what we really love talking about is trials. And you had an opportunity to be involved in one of the most famous trials ever on the planet involving OJ Simpson. And so can you tell us a little bit about what your role was and what you were doing during the OJ Simpson trial? So yes, thank you. I'm glad to discuss that. You know, now when I talk about the OJ Simpson trial, when I talk to younger lawyers, uh, and, and younger people, they're kind of like, what, huh? What? No. Yeah, <laughs> really? Oh, yes. That's that's the thing of the past for them, for sure. But for me, it really was the beginning of my legal career, uh, because when I was in law school, that's when this trial started. And so my first job out of law school uh, was at Court TV. 
and uh, I was doing uh, legal analysis for what was then called Primetime Justice, uh, which was a live um, broadcast. And the talent at the time, uh, Terry Moran is now the White House correspondent for ABC. He was phenomenal. Uh, And so it was just a great opportunity to get in there as a young lawyer and meet uh, all kinds of trial lawyers uh, who were well-established and some new, just like myself, uh, and then, then to meet other journalists mm-hmm. who were just great in, in their own right. And so there was a need for young lawyers like myself because not all of them, like Terry wasn't a lawyer, but they wanted folks to be able to fact check and to be able to make sure that what was being said was legally correct. And then since I had a background in journalism as well, I helped with as being being an, an associate producer to help you know pull some of the tape and to produce some parts of the show, and so it was great. It was wonderful, and it was a great way to start my legal career. Yeah, that sounds incredible. Did you actually get to sit in the courtroom for any of it, or were you kind of back in the studio watching all of the tape from every day in court? Yes. Yeah, so I was in New York, and the trial was taking place in California. And so, no, I did not have the good fortune of being able to be in California during the, the trial. So I was in New York and they would be sending you know, all of the information back to us. And I would be talking to the folks who were in the courtroom uh, about the important parts of the day and watching all of what had happened, uh, because the big deal was that it was being recorded. Um, this was one of the first uh, cases that was actually being recorded gavel to gavel. Uh, and so it was just incredible to really see what was happening uh, on, a, on a day-to-day basis, although I wasn't in California to actually watch it. That's amazing. Um, I was a huge court TV junkie back in the day. It sounds like you and I probably graduated law school around the same time because I was also in law school when that trial started and they literally had a TV on in our in our student room that you could go to in between classes and, and they were playing the trial throughout the day, which was really amazing. After the O.J. Simpson case, how long did you stay on at court TV and what other kinds of cases were you uh, following? So I was I was there for about two and a half years, and there were many cases that came after that. I can't remember them all, to be really honest. Um, that was obviously the highlight, but there were many. I should have racked my brain beforehand to try to remember to remember them, or at least look back at my journals, because it was such an exciting time. But it's been a while. It's been a long time ago. And so sometimes my memory isn't as long as my hair. So I can't (laughs) remember them all. But what I can tell you is that I remember the experience being one that made me really respect trial lawyers even more and understand how hard they worked. Because I realized then that the work that they did before the trial, during the trial, and even after the trials was significant and it was long. And so the the times when we saw them in court and we saw what they were doing and it seemed so effortless, it was very clear to me that there had been a lot of preparation that had gone into their ability to make it look effortless and to make it seem like they just knew all of this information off the top of their heads. And that was really what I, my biggest takeaway was that to be a trial lawyer was an extensive commitment and that I was ready to make that commitment. When you started trying cases, what kinds of cases did you start off trying? So um, I started trying 
uh, insurance defense cases. So automobile cases, premises liability, slip and falls, all of those kinds of cases. Lots of um, low dollar value, uh, limited exposure cases, which for me was the best way to uh, get exposed to trying cases because there was such low dollar value that I didn't have to get clearance to go ahead and move forward. It was like, okay, if you want to try this case, go ahead. There was, you know, the amount of liability was, was so low and I had a good fortune. So I had a, a, a friend um, who was uh, at that time, a claims adjuster for one of the insurance companies that we represented. So he knew that I was trying to learn to try cases and that I wanted to try everything. So we had a little bit of an agreement. And the agreement was, as long as you don't lose, you don't have to, the answer is yes, you can try them, you could try whatever you want to. And so we had a stick where the judge who didn't want to try, you know, sometimes they would say, look, how much do you have for this case? And I'd say, oh, I don't have anything. And they would say, come on, you have to have something. I'm like, no, I really don't have anything. And they would say, get the adjuster on the phone. I don't want to be spending all day trying this case. You've got to have something. And we would get him on the phone and he would say, nope, no authority. And so because I was winning, then and there was no problem with that. He, you know, from his point of view, no problem with him and his boss. I was winning, so it was fine with me. To and you were making him look good. And I was making him look good. Yeah. And so it got to be the case where the judge started telling the opponent, look, she's going <laughs> to try it and she's going to win. So I don't know what to tell you. And so that that was the way that I started trying cases. And I loved it. I, I loved it from the very beginning. Isn't that the best, though? I mean, that's how Sarah and I both grew up with those, um, the lower liability cases. And you learn all the things that you don't learn in law school about being in the courtroom. Little things like you don't drop the best bomb you've got on cross-examination right before lunch and give them a chance to fix it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Stuff like that. And, you know, both people can talk to the police officer. So don't think you got something on them. You know what I mean? The little things, the timing, the jury selection, you know, all of those things. So my question to you with in the trenches litigation, what is the one thing you learned or two, whatever couple of things that you learned in the courtroom that you could never learn in the classroom? I learned about the human experience, the way in which people respond to one another. I learned about the, the way in which race plays a critical role in most things that can be fortunate or unfortunate. For, for me, it was, a, it was a hard lesson to learn, but it was one that um, I learned. It also showed me that some of the, the things that I thought weren't important do matter, whether they should or shouldn't. So what you were wearing, the way in which you carried yourself, the way in which you, you talk to people, even the, the level, the decibel level in which you talk to people mattered. And so there were a lot of those intangibles that I thought shouldn't come into play that did. Even after I was married, I never tried cases with my wedding ring on because in, in Cook County, you can talk to jurors if, they, if, if they're willing to afterwards. And I had more older Black women come up to me and say, can I introduce you to my son? Oh, that's so funny. That I, that, that I ever thought would have happened. And so there were all these little nuances that made me realize that people were 
looking and listening to me, um, not just for the words mm -hmm. that were coming out of my mouth, but for some of those intangibles that I never thought would make a difference, like if you are if you're married or unmarried or any of those kinds of things. And so I had to learn to pay attention to some of those intangibles. And whether I liked them or not, they were real. And the fact that I was a black woman um, was real. And that sometimes the credibility that I thought should have been given to me because I was a good lawyer and that I was factually correct was not always given, that there was doubt about whether or not you know, I was doing the right thing, saying the right things, just because of who I was and how I was showing up. So can I dig, I want to dig, that, that's a um, kind of heartfelt comment, and I want to dig a little bit deeper if that's okay. So um, you know, now, as you sit, the CEO of the National Association of Women and Minority Owned Law Firms, in, in, such a, a, in such a place that makes a difference for women and minority owned law firms, and in such a uh, a great way that providing that nexus between us and you know the, the big bigger companies in the house council create paving that path. Do you feel like when you were in the courtroom that the lessons that you learned about race led you to where you are today in life? So yes, I would say the answer to that is yes. Um, I, I like to joke and say, you know, I've been a black woman for as long as I can remember. Um, <laughs> and some of the lessons I have learned along the way, uh, I think made me uniquely um, ready for this role. Even though I wasn't in a NAMWOL firm, I've been NAMWOL adjacent. I've been in situations where um, I've had to prove myself over and over again, maybe not given the credibility that I deserved. Um, and, and, having to understand that there are principalities that work against you just because of the way that you look. Can you give us an example, like a, a story of, of a judge doing, being biased against you or somebody being biased against you? So there's too many to even just start, but I just can tell you the one that, um, and this was one that happened a lot. There's two things that happened a lot when I was a younger lawyer in particular. I would um, be in court and be ready. And the judge, not really paying attention, would, you know, kind of come out and look around and say, you know, let me know when, when all the lawyers are, are here. Uh, and I was there. And I would say, judge, I'm, I'm the lawyer. And oftentimes, I have to admit, they would be a little embarrassed and say, oh, I didn't realize, oh, okay, counselor. But a few backpedaling the moonwalking, trying to get out yeah, of that. <laughs> but a few times they would just look at me like, "Huh? Who knew?" Okay, and so there wasn't always an apology that that came from the from that. That has happened many, many, many times. And I think it wasn't personal. It was just in being really. Um, that's what we call unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. In kind of coming out and just being in a hurry and scanning the courtroom real quick their mind told them all the lawyers weren't there because there was a black woman sitting on that side and that wasn't the lawyer. They didn't think about it and say, hmm, let me think about if I can be you know, biased to this lawyer. They just were in a huff and not thinking and their mind told them this couldn't be the lawyer. That's an unconscious bias. Mm -hmm. uh, that had happened a lot. I, and it's not, and I don't want to make it seem like it's always just from um, white males or, or majority folks. I have I have gone to law firms and the receptionist could have been African-American or, or 
or a woman or anybody. And I have had them say, you know, you can set up over here in this um, office. This is where we're going to take the deposition. And I would say, what makes you think I'm here for the here to take the deposition? I am as the lawyer, but I don't have to set up anything. I'm not the court reporter. And they would be, you know, they would just say, oh, okay, well then just wait, we're, we're not quite ready. And so my point is there are all kinds of situations where those, there's these microaggressions that people aren't necessarily doing purposefully, but they nonetheless are hurtful. Cause when you have that happen to you, time and time again, it's like death by a thousand slashes. And when you look up and you're bleeding out, then when you show up as the quote unquote angry black woman, then people are looking at you like, you know, well, what's the matter with her? It's like, cause this is the 50th time that, you know, I have not been taken seriously for no real reason. And so it happens. And so I do think that those instances in my practice has made me a uniquely ready for this position and has made me very aware of the kinds of issues and the kinds of challenges that minority and women face and that we need to fight against in trying to make sure that there's more equity and inclusion. There is so much there. I mean, we could talk all day. You know, I know Trish and I have both had the court reporter experience. We both, um, you know, had instances where you, know, you walk into a, into a mediation with your law partner who happens to be male and the mediator looks to your male partner, even though you're the lead lawyer on the case, you know, it, and, and doesn't even pay you any mind until it gets pointed out to them. I can completely relate to that. And I, and I know Trisha can, as can most of our, our lawyers here in the office who fit either the female or the minority or both um, yeah. designations. Um, and it's funny because we listen to the male lawyers in our office and they have to listen to us telling all these stories. They've become very sensitive to it. And mm-hmm. we appreciate them tremendously for realizing what uh, what can go on in these settings, you know. Do you talk to any of the younger lawyers who uh, may be attending seminars and things for NAMWOLF? And and how do you help them kind of process what to do or how to turn that kind of thing, you know, into a strength instead of into a weakness or into an assertion of your own power instead of getting angry? So, yeah, I absolutely I mentor lots of young lawyers, but I also mentor teenagers and others uh, because I recognize one to whom much is given, much is required. And I think it's my responsibility as well as the fact that I enjoy it. Um, I, I wish I had had more people when I was coming along who were really honest with me, uh, but I also had some people who really were and who I recognize without their help I would not have made it as far as I did. I do enjoy uh, mentoring. And what I tell them is that you have to decide the kind of lawyer you're going to be, the kind of person you're going to be, and that there is no substitution for excellence. When you are excellent, it speaks for itself in a lot of ways, and that you can't let the fact that there are those who seek to belittle you or demean you or just not pay attention to you. You can't let them uh, rule the, the, the day by getting angry, by saying or doing things that are really not who you are or letting them dim your light or steal your joy. Uh, 
my grandmother used to say, you know, God gives you joy. Nobody can take it from you. You know, they can make you unhappy. Happiness is man-made. It comes and goes. But the joy you have in terms of the joy that you have when you practice, the way in which you practice, the way in which you communicate and deal with others, that is something that nobody can take from you. So regardless of how bad or how poorly people may treat you or fail to include you, they can't take that from you if you allow that to be your guiding light. And so that's something that I try to instill in young lawyers, young people, myself. I remind myself of that. I remind my children of that. And I count it all joy. All the things that I have been through that have made me the person I am today, they, all those things were beneficial in some way. It didn't feel that way at the time. But I believe that they were beneficial and that all things are going to work together for my good. And so in that way, that's how I've tried to to move forward with any of the bad situations. And that's what I encourage other young people to do. Well, don't you feel, Leslie, like that women and minority lawyers have to have this burden of being and these young lawyers that you're talking to more excellent Oh, absolutely. Right. They're held to a much higher. So you got to make it a plus plus plus. Right. <laughs> to succeed. And, yeah. and I don't know how you can ever even those playing fields or if we can. I don't know how we even them either. Um, I, I agree with you. And yes, we have to be a plus 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 to even be deemed good to be to be deemed average. You've got to be exceptional. Um, but I just don't think you can let that stop you that you gotta just keep pressing on. Um, I would love if, the, if at this point in 2021, we had turned the page and that people recognize the true value of diversity and women and minorities and other perspectives and viewpoints and people. I, I would love that. We're just not there. Um, uh, we're not there and I don't know when we will get there, um, but I think that if you just kind of stop there and don't continue to try to strive for better, you can get um, burdened in the feeling of despair. And I just just choose not to do that. Um, There's a lot of things to despair about, but there are things to be to be glad about. And there are things to to look at and say, you know, we are making some strides, even being here at NAMWOLF. Since I've been here, there have been hundreds of corporations that I have talked to, over 100. Probably we're getting to about the 200 mark now of folks who, even if they are not fully committed and doing their best as it relates to diversity, they are ready. They are teed up. They are in the queue. They are getting to the point where they are going to say, coach, put me in the game, right? And that's different than where they may have been a year ago or five years ago. And so while it's not what I want it to be, where everybody is fully emerged and full steam ahead in every way as it relates to diversity, it's better than it has been in some respects in the past. I appreciate the gains that we do have um, while we're striving for more. So this is kind of your chance here for NAMWOLF to give the give them the plug um, can you can you give us and our listeners just a little sense of what is Namwolf's mission and how is it going about accomplishing some of its big goals so Namwolf's mission is very simple it's to uh, increase the utilization of minority and women owned and LGBTQ law firms 
uh, and by doing that to increase the diversity in our legal profession. The mission is, is very simple and is very narrow in terms of stating it. In terms, of how we, in terms of how we actually do it, um, that's different. And so uh, in that way, uh, we, we are the gold standard, and I'm a little biased, but we're the gold standard for helping corporations, governmental agencies, educational institutions figure out how to diversify their legal spend. Because Nam Wolf has already done the heavy lift by vetting our firms. And so we have great firms just like Lincolnder um, who have exceptional lawyers uh, with great expertise, uh, client services that are phenomenal. And so since we have made it quote unquote easy to figure out you know, how to engage with those type of lawyers, we find it to be natural that anybody, any corporation, any company that is in need of legal services and wants to diversify their ranks, that they should be looking to NAMWOLF as a way to do that because we partner with those companies. We do the heavy lifting. We make the connections. Uh, we ensure that the connections are, are right and there's a fit. And then we continue to service and serve our law firms and our corporate partners in, with a high level of service. Uh, and so to me, there's no reason why anybody wouldn't look to NAMWOLF as a way to help them further diversify or to begin to diversify their supplier, their legal sub supplier needs. And so- Well, I've, Sarah and I have said before that you guys help us get our foot in the door, but we got to kick it wide open. Right. Absolutely. And we have to get in there and impress them. And, 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 you know, and that's where you have to be better than excellent and you got to deliver on it. And, um, you know, true. Cause we don't, it's do on us at the work. end of the day. Right. 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 Exactly. And, and this might be putting you two on the spot. I know you took over this role earlier this year during COVID, which is probably limited a little bit, your ability to get to know your law firms and, and all of that, because I know you guys, the, the former CEOs would travel and with COVID that just has not been possible quite yet. But do, are the numbers of minority and women-owned law firms that are participating in NAMWOLF growing? And if so, is there also growth in the companies that are willing to come in and at least give us the opportunity to have the conversations with them about using our legal, our legal teams for their legal needs? Oh, absolutely. And so while you're right, COVID has not afforded me the opportunity to actually physically go and meet people. What I will say is that in some respects, and I, I'm very cautious when I say this, but in some respects, it has worked out well in terms of my ability to meet more people quickly because I've been able to do it virtually. Um, obviously, yeah. virtually isn't the, the best, but I would, I've, I've met with, I want to say, 130 of the law firms already. Wow. I would have never have been able to do that um, if I was meeting with everybody physically. And since we've all had to move to a virtual platform, it's not as if uh, some people feel like they're giving, given short shrift if I meet with them virtually versus if I meet with them in person. Everybody is meeting virtually. And so the, even those who might have otherwise have said, well, I don't want to meet virtually. I only want to meet if it's in person. Since nobody can be in person, that's not happening. So I'm, I've been able to meet with more folks at a, in a 
shorter period of time than I otherwise would have been able to do. And that's both law firms and corporations. And so, yes, our number of law firms has grown um, some since, since the pandemic. Uh, and so we've added some new firms uh, and the corporations. Since I have been uh, in this seat, we have brought more corporations on board. Uh, we have participation by the, the corporations that we already had. You know, there has, has been no real attrition in that way. I think because of the events of a year and a half ago with George Floyd, Floyd and the storming of the Capitol and all points in between where we've seen lots of um, attempts to move diversity, equity, and inclusion backward that there have been folks who have said, you know, I got to do something. I can't just sit idly by. Since there's a movement to move it back, I've got to do something to help move it forward. And I think that's what we're seeing. And I'm very glad about that. That's amazing. Do you have any particular initiatives that you're working on right now? I've been calling it the each one bring one charge. Um, I know you guys have heard that before. Every firm that I have met with, I've talked about the each one bring one charge and the corporations. And all that really is, is that my asking everybody who I talk with to self-assess where you are, what is the one more thing you can do for NAMWOLF, you can bring to NAMWOLF. And then to ask as a collective group, what's the one more thing you can bring to NAMWOLF? The reason why I'm doing that is because I recognize that if we're all moving together in a unified way, thinking about how we can be impactful and intentional in our actions, that we will see the needle move for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so that's more than just asking folks to just do you know, anything. It's doing something that is meaningful something that adds value. And that can be anything. Having a podcast where I get to talk about NAMWOLF, that's impactful, that's meaningful. Uh, introductions to other corporations, introductions to other um, possible firms, all kinds of ways in which we can be moving the needle if we're working together and trying to be impactful. And so that's one of the things that I'm doing to try to get us moving in the right direction. There's so many great things that have already been happening with NAMWOLF. Uh, I'm just excited to be a part of it at this point of our 20th year anniversary. I would be remiss if I didn't throw that in. Um, NAMWOLF turns 20 uh, this year, wow. and it's a big deal. That means for 20 years, NAMWOLF has been fighting the good fight, has been getting in good trouble and doing things that are important. And so um, it's just a great time to, to be at NAMWOLF. Leslie, I want to ask you a question about a personal experience and get your thoughts on how I could be more supportive in a leadership role. I tried a case uh, several years ago. It actually hadn't been that long, maybe three years ago, with um, a second chair, black female lawyer who we, we worked together here at Lincoln Durgwin. I don't know if you've met her or not, but she's great. She sat second chair with me in a very big trial. And I also had asked the client to bring in appellate counsel. And the client, the, the appellate counsel the client chose happened to be a, a black female as well. My opposing counsel, and I, I kid you not, literally accused me of picking them because of their race. Mm -hmm. I've never seen anything like it. And I, I was so dumbfounded. I'm just thinking, like, how, how dare you? And I think it was something he just more blurted out than it. You pick them, something along those lines. I honestly will tell you, I don't think until that moment I fully appreciated the challenges uh, in the courtroom, intentional or unintentional, whatever you want to call them. And my heart just 
dropped. It was horrible. I've never, I'll never forget it. And she's a young lawyer. She was, this was not her first rodeo. She was there as a full second chair and participated and did a great job. And I was so proud of her. I'm so glad glad that we beat them. But what I want to know is (laughs) watching the hurt on the two lawyers' faces, one that was older and been practicing about 25 years was just as pained as the one who is sitting next to me who had been practicing less than five. And, you know, Sarah and I are leaders in this organization and hopefully in the community. What could I, what can I do besides get mad, <laughs> you know, and fuss at him and say, you, you fool, whatever. I can't believe you. How dare you? What can I do to help? I don't know, not alleviate, not take away because I can't, but, but to lift, lift up people that have been insulted like that. As a leader, demonstrate that you've got their back, right? Like well, you've sure, got to yeah. have their back. And so what's the best way for, for us to do that? You know, the best way to do that is to win. I mean, it's just to win. <laughs> Love it. Right. That really says the most. Um, it's just to win. Um, I, I'm sure they had meaningful roles in the trial. And, you know, to to walk away with a, a decision that shows that you were you all we're, we're better. You did the best job and you won. Sometimes that's all you can do is just continue to win, continue to shine, continue to be who you are. Because sometimes when you call it out, you, you know, those type of folks are never going to say, not you, know change. I'm, you know, what was I thinking? I'm such a terrible person. It's not going to happen. Right. I've had a Batson challenge against me for striking black people off of jury. <laughs> you, you know, it's like, are you serious? You're giving a Batson challenge to me, a black woman? I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so it's all kind of crazy things that happen. People are really stressed out during trial. And sometimes you see the worst in oh, people, yeah. the, really the worst. I, you know, I have been called girl, gal, all Sweetie. kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, all kinds of things happen. And I think that goes with the territory, right? So it's not for thin-skinned folks because um, it's not just the racial or, or gender. You know, it's not just all of those things. But it's all kinds of things that come into play when you're talking about emotions and and winning and high stakes and other people, jury trials in particular, where other people are involved. That's tough. That's really it is tough. tough. It is tough. And you so, do have to have thick, thick skin in this business for sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so all you can do is keep winning. Loud and clear, Roger. (laughs) We're working on that. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, You talked earlier about some of the mentorship that um, that you are engaged in, and you have used a term in other conversations with us about intersectionality. Can you talk to us a little bit about that concept and and what what that term kind of means for our audience? Well. I thought about that in terms of intersectionality. I think it just really means that's where kind of all the things that we talk about, all the things that we're working to do together, um, the ways in which we are trying to um, make things better, that's where it all kind of intersects. And we have to decide, you know, what do we do? How do we move in a unified way to move forward where all those things cross? race, gender, socioeconomic background, perspective, all kinds of things. Where that intersects is really where we're all alike and different. 
And so that's why I think it's a, just a, a very um, powerful inflection point because those are the kinds of things that can drive us apart or those are the kind of things that can bring us together. And that intersectionality, I think, is really powerful. It can be. Well, it's interesting you say that because at the Nam Wolf meetings, um, you know, there are all kinds of people, you know, plenty of white men who who are we are putting our arms around and embracing as well um, as part of and working with, you know, minority firms. So I, I just have to say when the, the last meeting, Sarah and I kind of looked across the sea of people when the last live when we were at and was kind of like, look at this. Look. Wow. You know, look at look at. So many different people all in one room, all coming together with one purpose, one common purpose, and that is to open the world's eyes to the services that we can deliver and the fact that we can be just as good and better than than other law firms. Yeah, for sure. It's exceptionally different from my experience at another national organization where you looked across the room and it definitely did not have the same flavor for diversity. We won't mention that one because we're here to talk about Nam Wolf and how great it is. So, <laughs> so outside of work, what are your passions? Ooh, so I have uh, two children, a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old. My son is an elite basketball player. And so I have become a basketball mom. That's time consuming for it, sure. Yes, but I do love basketball. I used to referee intramurals when I was in college. And so I, I am one of those people at the game. I'm one of those. You're yeah. that mom. Right. I, I'm the that loud mom. mom. Yeah, <laughs> I'm that one. Um, so it's a lot of basketball in the house, a lot of traveling for basketball, a lot of basketball. My daughter is a singer and a dancer. And so there's a lot, there's a lot going on as it relates to just mm-hmm. my being immersed in their activities. And I just, I'm, I, I'm their biggest fan. So I love doing it. And my husband uh, DJs on the side. And so I go to his gigs. So what's, so I, I laugh and I tell my friends that I'm in high school, I'm a, I'm in high school and I'm a groupie. So, so, you know, I, I, that, that's what I do in my pastime. I, 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 I attend high school events and I'm a, a, a DJ groupie. Um, but no, seriously, I like to travel. Um, it's been really hard during COVID. Oh I love to travel. I love to find new places, new things. I am addicted to spas. I like to compare whose spa is better than the other. Uh, and so those are the kinds of things I do. I read a lot, but I have to admit that I can't share the titles of most of the things I read because it's like all self-help and self-indulged and, you know, none of the things that people are currently reading that are, that is, you know, great. It's like, you know, all the self-help books and, you know, how do you stop from it? How do you age gracefully? How do you get rid of cellulite? Well, let me know when you figure that one out. All kinds of things that people would be like, that's what you're reading. But um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do in my pastime. That that you have any, right? I'm sure you've been busy. You know, it's kind of good though, I guess with, um, you know, with the limitation of travel, you can get more done with less time, you know, that's, I guess that's true of the Zoom stuff. Kind of, but um, it seems like you, at least for me, I put more on because there's no travel time. Oh, so, yeah. so I, I pile it on, pile it on, pile it on. So in some respects, I think I'm more busy than I was when I was traveling and doing other things. So yeah. now that you are the CEO of Namwolf, you know, one of the things that is always a 
kind of a conversation point for us with other lawyers and even within our firm is that Trish and I and several of our other lawyers were at large law firms before coming here. And so we started Lincoln Durr in 2009 um, after leaving a, a, a large law firm. If you were going to be mentoring a young minority lawyer or female lawyer coming out of law school, mm-hmm. would you recommend to them going to a minority or woman-owned law firm versus a large law firm if the opportunity arose? Or do you think that they have the same types of chances of being successful regardless? You know, if they're good, they're talented, they're smart, they're going to work hard. You know, do you think that the environment makes a big difference? I am so glad you asked me that. Uh, You're the first person to ask me that since I started this role. And Anybody who's talked to me, I think, recognizes that I am not short on opinions. I actually started my career, besides, besides um, Court TV, when I came back to Chicago to start practicing in earnest, I was at a small minority woman-owned law firm. And when I started trying federal cases, really, besides the insurance, insurance defense work, when I started trying federal cases and cases that had high liability um, and were lots at stake, I was with that firm. And the training that I got there was invaluable. And more so even than that, the confidence that was instilled in me by having someone pour into me who looked like me, who believed in me, who was trying to um, help me and uplift me and not in any way devalue me did wonders for my ability to even A, be sought after by large law firms. It was because of my reputation as a trial lawyer that the law firm came a calling And that was because I had had that training. And when I then went to the large law firm, I was still a a mid-level, a baby lawyer, so to speak. So on those days when I wanted to close my door and cry, I was able to look myself in the mirror and say, you were an accomplished lawyer before you came here. You will be one when you leave here. They cannot take that away from you. And that was important because some of the mistakes I made which were mistakes. If I had made those same mistakes at a large law firm, I would have been out the door because you're, you're disposable. It's a revolving door. There's so many people. And so because I was able to learn and grow, make some mistakes, gain some confidence, gain some ability, some expertise, how all these things happened before I got to the large law firm environment, I was able to thrive because by the time I hit that door, I was already a trained lawyer. And so while I still needed and did have many mentors and many people that helped me, I already had a real background and a a real foundation that allowed me to thrive. So I would tell any young lawyer that right out of law school, you would be wise to go to a minority or woman-owned firm where they can train you, pour into you, guide you, keep you, uh, and involve you in things that are really very important and great. I wouldn't say they'd have to leave to, to be, you know, to go to a large law firm. I did because that firm at the time was so small, I couldn't spread my wings and do more things that I wanted to do. But now, even as I look at the firms within NAMWOLF, 
they, they're full service. Many of them have, have a lot of different areas of expertise where you can have a, a thriving career in a variety of ways. I didn't have that opportunity at the firm that I was with, but that was just, you know, that was many years ago. So now there's even more opportunities for minority and women-owned law firms to, to do um, great work and, and, and have bigger cases and um, deeper expertise. Uh, you know, so I think it's a great way to, to start your practice and maybe even continue your practice. Gosh, I love that. Every time we talk to you, I find more commonality in our backgrounds because Trish and I both, you know, started off at the smaller insurance defense firms. We established our reputations. We were well known before we ended up at the big law firm. And like you, it wasn't, it's not just that you came in and you have that level of confidence, but you have a community that you've established outside of that large law firm that you can go to and say, am I crazy or exactly? <laughs> or, or how should I deal with this? You know, and you, so you have a support system that exists that is um, outside of that organization that still allows you to be successful within it. If that's what you so choose to do. But um, man, I just love, I just love hearing that, that perspective, that story, you know, and we would we would love to have more young women and minority lawyers looking towards us as an employment option right out of school and not just automatically jumping to to a large law firm um, mm-hmm. to start their careers in large part, too, because here you actually try cases which is, or at least maybe we will someday. When no kidding, right. right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've had right. one trial in 18 months. I'm, I'm, I, I'm twitching to get back into the courtroom. It's terrible, you know? I mean, we just miss it so Well, that's much. the one thing I will admit that I do miss because I love trying cases. I, I really did and do. And so I'm missing that a little bit myself, but, you know. Sit with us. Exactly. Yeah. Anytime. As soon as trials get back up, you're more than welcome. We'll let you know when we're going to be in the courtroom and you can come come watch. I'd love, I'd love, I'd love to have a court TV review. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. We appreciate you. um, Gosh, we've taken a lot of time, but let me, um, let me try and wrap up with just a couple of things Uh, for businesses looking to diversify either their, their internal teams or their external legal representation, and they're not quite sure exactly how to get that process started. Are there any words of advice that you can give them or places that they can go to get information that would help them do that? So sure, as it relates to their, obviously their legal supplier needs, NAMWF is a great place to go. All Most jurisdictions have uh, bar associations, minority bar associations, women bar associations, those are other places to, to go. Um, there are other uh, organizations, MCCA, ACC, all kinds of organizations that really focus on diversity and trying to make sure that um, diversity is something that's on top of mind for everybody. Uh, and so, and there's job boards if you're looking to hire diverse lawyers. Um, one of the ways to find folks is to talk to diverse, to, to, to diverse and women lawyers uh, to find people. So what I would really say, and, and I think all those things are true, but more so than that, I would say, just get intentional about it. Just, just do it, right? I am, am not a believer that it is all that difficult. <laughs> um, and so I don't mean to, to be sarcastic or to, um, 
give short shrift to anybody's comments when they say, I've really been trying, but I can't figure it out. If you're having trouble figuring it out, there are lots of people, myself included, who are willing to help with that effort. But I will say this, minority and women uh, own law firms, as well as lawyers, they don't fall out the sky. You really do have to really think about it and try to do it. And so once you get intentional about it, it's not that hard. If you're just sitting there hoping that we fall out of the sky, then yeah, you probably won't come across any. Um, <laughs> so that's really my my real message. Just just do it. Get in there. Get Get in the game. Yeah, it's good for everybody, right? I mean, yeah. I think that's the big message is you know, having a diverse team makes the whole team better and makes our representation of the clients that we serve better. Well, well, well um, rounded, yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Trish, so what you are do the verdict? What are our takeaways after, um, gosh, spending an hour? We should call this an hour with Leslie. <laughs> that trial work is super fun super yeah. hard. You have to be thick skinned to, to do it. And that and the way to get them is just beat them. team. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Win, 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 win. All I do is win, win. win. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Don't, we're going to have to edit that. One. <laughs> no, keep it, keep it. <laughs> That's one of my trial songs. Like it, it's funny. My, my poor lawyers who have to go with me to court, I actually have a trial playlist and I play it like at full blast on my way to the courthouse. And, and that's on my, that's on my, on my list, on my playlist. <laughs> well, I, I will, I will share a secret, a, a, a secret with you. I have a, a song and it, and we call it the, the Davis fight song. We play it before basketball games. We play it before nice. trials. We play it before anything important. And it's called waging war by CC Winans. And so what's funny is, is so my kids, my son, he's cool breeze. He doesn't, you know, when he, when I have, I drive a big car. And so I'm always the one with the kids in the car. So I started doing this when they were little uh, about any, a test, anything. So as they got older and became teenagers, you know, when he would have friends, he'd say, mom, don't play the song. Don't play the song. I gotta play, no, <laughs> no, I got to play. I got to play the song. And so now the running joke is, so when the kids get in the car, you know, now they're big time seniors. They're ready for me to play the, the, the fight song. And so they're singing that. it. And the thing that warmed my heart the most was one day when we were getting ready to go to a game recently and I kind of forgot to put it on. They started humming it Aww. like and Aww. I really, you know, I I try not to break down and just go to pieces. I'm like, oh, they love the fight song. <laughs> it, you works, know, it works. It works. It works. So they started humming it. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. I got to put it on. So, you know, those those things matter. They surely do. Yes, they surely do. If you're a competitor, you're a competitor, whether you're on a basketball court, a, a field or whatever, yep. or you're going into the courtroom. If you're yep. a competitor, that's just... How we that's roll. Your thing that you yeah. do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Gotta, that's you got to have a fight song. <laughs> got to have a song. Trish, you want to do the verdict? Sure, sure. Um, so we um, are always waiting to hear from you, our listeners. Um, always wanting input, questions. Maybe we'll get lucky enough to have Leslie on again, and we could do some listener questions. That'd be so cool. Uh, but yeah, rate us, review us, listen, download, and let's give Leslie a hand. Yeah, it's thanks wonderful. so much for being here. Thank Leslie. you for your this time. We appreciate Thank you. Thank you so much for all you do.
Yep. And I appreciate being asked to be on and thank you. It was fun. I appreciate it. We could talk to you forever. Yep. All All right. right. Till next time, everybody. Till next time. Cheers. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.